Have you ever had someone shush you? Shh. Librarians are famous for this, right? Like when you're growing up, moms are pretty good at this. Shh. Have you ever wanted to shush somebody, but you just couldn't bring yourself to do it, but you really wanted to? Or it was somebody else's kid that you wanted to shush? Shh. Right? We all understand what that is. And it can be a little embarrassing if you've been shushed. Because <laughs> sometimes that person who shushed you is right. And you're like, oh man, I, I was really out of order there. I, I should have been listening, but I was talking. Shh. <laughs> and sometimes you just have to receive it as hard as it can be. Because you might want to shush them back, but then that gets into a whole ugly thing and spit begins to fly and you don't want to go there, right? So, well, a couple years back, I looked at the injunction, the, the exhortations that James gives with QSS. Everybody be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I came up with a little different thing than a shh. It's a quiz. Everybody try it. Okay, I want to plant that into your brain because I believe that if you can remember this simple acronym, QSS, it will help you apply God's word. And after all, the book of James says we're to be not merely hearers of the word, but what? Doers. If we're a hearer and we're not a doer, we're actually delusional. And I'm not kidding. That's what James says. And that's what he means. We have deluded ourselves if we just come into church services and hear God's word and we have no intention of doing it. And I'm not talking about failing because we're all going to fail. But if we come into church and we're basically, we got the deflector shield up and we have no intention of doing anything God's word says, James would say, you're deluded, man. That's self-delusion. Now, there, there are people out there today that struggle with delusions, right? And we know there are some serious conditions related to that. And when someone is delusional, it, it's, it can be a sad thing because what happens is they really believe something terrible is happening to them when it may not be reality. And James is saying, look, if you're going to hear God's word and you're not going to do it, you're basically deluding yourself. You've fooled yourself. And that's why James is such a practical, hard-hitting book, because it really makes me ask the question, when I hear something that the Bible says, is my intention to take it out of this place so that it affects my Monday morning as much as it does my Sunday morning? So this is the book of James. And he starts off in verse 19, just a few verses this morning. He says, this you know. If you have an ESV, it says, verse 19, James 1, know this. NIV says, take note of this, my beloved brethren. The opening of verse 19 is rendered as an imperative. Know this by form. However, it could also be an indicative. I'm reading from uh, Moo's commentary. You could render this of this, you may be certain. Either way works, but the way James addresses his readers favors the imperative. That is, Know this, James might say. This is what you need to know. Now, notice he does address my beloved brethren. This is where J. Vernon McGee got it. Just so you know, you can just mark that. 
May God richly bless you, my beloved. Don't you love that? J. Vernon McGee's been in heaven for a long time, but he's still on the radio preaching the word all over the world. And he says, my beloved, so we can understand the audience, the, the motivation of James is not to beat us up. Because I know sometimes when we come in to church from a long week and our boss beat us up and the freeway beat us up and we have some issues with family or friends and then we come into church and poof, 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 right? It's tough. And so I think James wants us to know that we are loved by God. God's word, God's truth is shared with us to make us better. One rabbi is uh, given credit of saying, say little and do much. That's James' philosophy. Be quick to hear, my beloved brethren. James has been called a New Testament proverb, and as I mentioned, I really see James as a spiritual doctor, and he wants to heal us. He wants to give us the healing balm so we can heal our hearing, our speaking, and if you have anger issues this morning, James is going to deal with anger. Uh, I had anger issues before I came to Jesus Christ. Uh, I was very competitive, and I had a chip on my shoulder from a dad that left and some dysfunction in the family. And so I'd be on the, out on the soccer field, and I'd be screaming at everybody if they didn't do their job. And this is in elementary school, by the way. Come on, what are you doing? And everybody was scared, at, scared of me, and I was this short little guy. But I was fired up. Now, I don't have a whole lot of uh, mechanical skills, so one day my sister loves to remind me that I took a car jack and threw it across the street uh, like a shot put. Uh, things were not cooperating. I was trying to do something with a tire, and I... <laughs> you ever done something like that? <laughs> then you have to look at yourself... I remember a friend from Little League was telling a story. He said he was disciplining one of his children. Nothing wrong with good discipline, but he said he was screaming at the child, and there was one of those uh, closet mirrors, you know, those sliding closet doors in the bedroom, and he was, and he said he saw his face in the mirror, and he went, is that what my child is seeing? I'm a monster. And we've all probably been there. We've had a moment where we've, checked ourselves, and maybe we've had a whole week where we've just been grumpy and irritable and growling at people, and people are keeping their distance, right? And James is going to give us a remedy. Just really quick, he has given these things so far. He's told us how to reevaluate our trials in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 1. He showed us how to ask for wisdom and receive it, in verses 5 through 8, when we're going through our trials. He's addressed whether you're rich or poor, life is short, and he's addressed how we need to look at life in verses 9 and 10 and verse 11. He's told us that there's a blessing when we persevere through our trials and temptations in verse 12. He has told us how to see temptation and deal with it in verses 13 through 15. And he's reminded us in verses 16 and 17 that God doesn't change even if you've had a bad day or a bad week. God remains the same. He's good. Every good and perfect gift is from God. It's from above. And one of the greatest gifts that he's given us in verse 18 is he, he brought us forth. Go back for a second to verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. That is, he 
caused us to be born again by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Now, this is what God did, and God's greatest expression of good is he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, this is where we've come. And James has dealt with a lot of important topics already. And now he's going to get to this matter of hearing. So I, I pray that we could all hear Dr. James and hear what he says about rethinking and reorienting these main areas of our life. He's going to give us some medicine. He's going to give us a biblical prescription. If you struggle in any of these areas with your listening skills, with maybe regretting things that you say or dealing with anger, he's going to give you a biblical prescription. He's going to write the prescription, if you will. And when your doctor gives you a prescription and says, this is what you need to take to be healed, the only way that you're going to get healed is to do what? Go get the medication and take it. But I'm going to say that James will add a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down in a most delightful way. Maybe not so delightful, but... I'm going to try to give you a spoonful of sugar because I want you to know that I fail in these areas too. But I'm trying to ask God to help me. Um, I am asking him to help me to get better. Let's look at the first injunction. It's the cue. This you know, my beloved brethren. Let everyone, this is all of us, there's no exceptions. Let's be quick to hear. If you're a note taker, that's the cue, quick to hear. The word for quick is Takus in Greek, it means speedy, swift, fast. It speaks of eagerness. Simon Kistemacher, who's a commentator on the New Testament, said, listening is loving. Listening is loving. Let's be quick to listen. The first injunction is be quick to hear, quick to listen. Have you ever been talking to someone and you can see that the lights are on but nobody's home? And, and it, it sends a message to you that this person doesn't really care about what I'm saying. Um, I know, <clears throat> as a man, I am very mono-minded. So I can really only focus on one thing at one time. It's, maybe it's a gift, but to my wife, it can be a challenge. So, for example, she has learned that if a Dodger game is on, it's not a good time to talk to me. But she wants to talk to me. So I have learned that when she comes to me, I have to hit. And there's a great invention that has now come to the masses of humanity. It is glorious. It's called the pause button. So I just pause the game and we talk. And it's much easier for me. And we're, we've kind of learned this, this, this thing of how we communicate. I really have to have everything else off so I can focus. So I have to do that, and my spouse has to recognize that that's how I am. Now, my wife can be stirring soup, talking on the phone, have a kid asking her about something and tell me that my socks are in the third drawer on the far left. She's just good at that, okay? I am not. So we have to learn how to communicate. Instead of racing to get in your next word, how many of us are guilty of someone saying something? We're just, we're just forming the next argument that we're going to make. Oh, yeah, but we can't wait to say what we want to say. <laughs> right? But we're not to be quick to get the next response out. 
We're to be quick to what? Listen. How many of us could just apply that this week? All right. My spouse is talking, my coworker, my boss, whatever it may be, the preacher. Oh, it's wonderful when you come and you come to, I come to speak, you come to listen. If we both finish at the same time, it's glorious. <laughs> As one professor put it who was addressing students at Princeton. Listening is loving. And I need, I confess it, I need to be a better listener. And the Bible actually says to me, I need to be quick to listen. Eager, swift. Sometimes it would be better if I just listen and maybe before responding, have you ever been there before? You hear something and you respond and then you think back and you think, you know what, I should have let them get through the whole story before I fired off those five things that I just said that I now regret. As one writer put it, I've never had to take back something that I didn't say. And we've all been there before. Where we'd like to say after words left our mouth, could judge, could you strike that from the record? Judge, could you have the jury disregard that last statement? How many of you have watched a court show where if the attorney can get the words in, it doesn't matter if the judge says, please disregard that last statement that was made by that attorney. The attorney doesn't care because all that judge said was try to ignore something which made them think about it even more. <laughs> and lawyers are good at this kind of stuff. And so we're told to be quick to listen. I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. All right, that's in your Old Testament. And as Solomon is giving us wisdom, this is all in the kind of the center of our Bible where we have the wisdom literature. So you have Psalms, you have Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. So if you can think of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes go together, and Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature, then Ecclesiastes follows the Proverbs. So just think of it as more wisdom literature. Here's Solomon. Here's what he says. And just by way of introduction, uh, or I guess setting the context of James, James may be, Ecclesiastes 5 is what you want. James may be addressing the church as it relates to a worship service. Let me explain. In the ancient worship services, there was probably more opportunity for a dialogue. Uh, or at least maybe at the end of a message, there was an opportunity for some Q&A. And we'll do that later as we tackle the issue of Mormonism. And so it may be that if a pastor or a speaker was teaching the word of God, let's, let's imagine maybe a home Bible study or one of our Bible studies at a restaurant, and someone was quick to speak, like, I don't, I don't believe that or I don't buy that or whatever, and there was, there was this talk that was going on. James is saying, and this is just one possible interpretation that the setting is a worship service. And he's saying, look, listen first before you rattle off your thousand questions or your disagreements. Here's Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. And draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. <clears throat> verse 2. 
Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. and Do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Now there are some, if you go back to the book of James, that believe that James is thinking of Ecclesiastes 5. We don't know for sure. Of course, we are in the New covenant now, and we need to understand that God loves us, and um, God does discipline us, but we are a forgiven people. And we are in this sanctification process. That is, God is changing us more into the image of Jesus, and he's saying we need to be quick to listen. We need to let God's word, hearing it and applying it, be the centerpiece of our lives. That's why I would say to you during your week, if you don't have your dial set to Christian radio stations like KKLA or K-Wave or K-Bright, or you're not listening to some teaching during the week, or you're not in some sort of Bible study, you're, you're almost fighting a losing battle. Because you need God's word to be cleansing and shaping and strengthening your every fiber of your being all week long that's mostly what I do is take in the word of God in one form or another and I'm not saying that just because I'm a pastor before I ever was in a pulpit every week that became a passion because I knew that that was a main vehicle by which God would change my thinking so whatever I put into myself that's what begins to orient my thinking so Every one of us needs to be quick to listen. The, the S in the acronym I'm giving you of is slow to speak. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. How can we be listening if we're talking? How can we be hearing somebody if... Have you ever been in a conversation that turned into an argument and two people are trying to talk over one another? How many of you watch these shows where maybe it's Fox News and they have a debate going on and the moderator's in the middle and they have two talking heads on either side and, and they're trying to talk over each other. And you're like, nobody can hear anybody and it gets frustrating. And someone might say, please let person A finish and then you can talk. And the other person, <laughs> right? Because we all want to get our point across and we're not necessarily good at listening. Proverbs 10.19 says, Proverbs 10.19, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17.27 and 28 says, he who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent. So it's Better to keep one's mouth closed and be thought a fool than open it and dispel all doubt. (laughs) 
Have you ever met somebody and, you know, you might have a, a sense of who that person is, like just, you know, you see how someone looks, you might, they might look professorial or they, whatever, they might look athletic, and then they open their mouth and they start to share something, and you, sometimes you're a little blown away, like, wow, that's not what I expected that person to sound like or talk like. And so James is saying, look, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, Psalm 80, 81, 13 and 14, God says in a lament, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Psalm 81, 13 and 14. I had the privilege of praying at the National Day of Prayer event up at Eagle Glen, and it's, it's done every year by a group of individuals in the city who have a heart to reach people with the gospel. And I got a chance to pray, and Frank Sontag was the keynote speaker. And so up until that uh, point, I was praying during the week. And, you know, you're going to go up to pray, and you have a couple of minutes, and you're like, okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to pray? It's kind of a weird prayer. Lord, how do you want me to pray? But then I thought, you know what? The disciples actually asked Jesus. As they watched him minister and live, they actually asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. I think a great prayer for a Christian is, Lord, teach me how to pray. And maybe with that, teach me how to listen more when I pray. How about instead of me coming into the gates with, my 17 requests that I got for today, right? Lord, I'd like you to do this, 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 and this, and for this person, this person, and this, and over, and here, oh, what, and, and how about if we came into the presence of God and just said, Lord, I, I'm just here before you. For the first couple of minutes, I'm just gonna seek your face. Speak, your servant is listening. I don't know how it all works, you guys, I don't understand it all, but I just know this. I've probably done a lot more talking in prayer than I've just tried to settle down and say, Lord, just speak to my heart. Let me just orient who I am with heaven's values. The Bible's remedy is not just about listening and hearing sound and nodding politely. We can all do that. But it is about reading Hearing, reading, and heeding, Revelation 1.3. James 1.22, the, the, the theme verse. Take a look at it. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So we can, we can nod, we can be polite, but God wants us to take it in and let it go deep. In Luke 11, it came about while Jesus said these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And Jesus said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Luke 11, 27 and 28. That's where most Christians go wrong in hearing the word of God and actually doing it. <laughs> Would you agree? Would you say if Churches and marriages and individuals just listened to God's word and did it more times than not, most of our problems would be solved. And I'm just talking about inside the church. I'm not talking about the issues in America right now, which we know there's a whole host of those. And those need a remedy. But 
My people who are called by my name, it needs to start with them. They need to humble themselves. They need to pray and seek my face. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And so we have this, these exhortations, quick to listen, slow to speak. Let's make sure we take in, we listen. And then the last one, the last S, is slow to anger. And being slow to anger is commented a little bit more on in verse 20 when it says, for the anger, the Greek word here is orge, it's O-R-G-E-E, the anger of man does not achieve or produce the righteousness of God. A fool always loses his temper, Proverbs 29, 11, but a wise man holds back. If you like to think in opposites, there are a lot of people who are slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. So think in the opposite terminology, and you, you got it. There are some people who are slow to hear, they don't listen, they're quick to speak, and they are quick to become angry, and they're difficult to be around because they're a ticking time bomb. And some of you, are living with a person like this, and some of you are that person. And if you are, there is a remedy here. And the remedy is, let's let God's word do its work. An angry spirit is never a listening or teachable spirit. Now, there are reasons for anger, of course. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us you know, when we lose control of our environment or circumstances, sometimes anger is a natural response. I don't like what's happening here, so I get angry. But anger, the anger of man. Now, let me, let me clarify. It says the anger of man because some of you are thinking, well, God gets angry, and Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers and so forth. And I even know the Bible speaks of a righteous anger. Amen. Wholeheartedly, amen and amen. But this is not talking about righteous anger. This is talking about the anger that comes from a man. It's fleshly anger. It's, I'm angry because I don't like how this situation is going for moi. <laughs> I don't like how this is going for me, so I'm going to become angry so I can try to control it. So I can bring it back to where I want this situation to be. I'm not talking about righteous anger. We should be righteously anger at evil. When we see evil, like Jesus, when he saw the money changers in the temple, or when he saw the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, he became angry. That's legitimate anger. But how many of the times, if you were to look at your anger ratio... And ask yourself, how many times when I've been angry has it been legitimately categorized as righteous anger? I was mad because of some evil or some wrong done to somebody else or blasphemous against God. I mean, we'd all like to say, yeah, that's, that, that's the only time I become angry. Was when, when God's name is something done wrong to God's name or some innocent person is harmed by some evil, that's when I get angry. If that's the case, you're doing well. That's where we want to end up. We want to be more like Jesus. 
And so this anger that is referred to here originally in the Greek spoke of an impulsive nature. Um, the word is found 36 times in the New Testament, 12 times in the book of Romans alone. It speaks of uh, someone kind of letting anger bubble up and it comes out. What does anger achieve? Well, it does not produce, look at verse 20. The anger of man does not produce or achieve what? The righteousness of God. Or another way you could translate it is the righteous life that God wants us to live. And that's what the book of James is really about. So the righteousness of God here, although it could be about three different things, it could be imputed righteousness or it could be God's righteousness when he's looking at the world and measuring things. But here, I think it's accurate to say it's more about the righteous life that God wants us to live. Your anger does not produce the righteous life that God wants you to live. Not when it's fleshly anger coming from our fallen nature, if you will. And so I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. It's a little bit back. It's chapter 5. We all know about the fruit of the Spirit, but the verses that come right before the fruits of the Spirit are fruits of the flesh. Galatians 5. As you turn there, let me read a little uh, something that I found in one of the commentaries. It says, In the desert I saw a creature, naked and bestial, who, squatting upon the ground, held his heart in his hands and ate of it. And I said, Is it good, friend? And he said, It is bitter. Bitter, he answered. But I like it. Because it is bitter. And because it is my heart. There are some people who like being bitter. It's been described as Frederick Buchner as anger when you let it kind of fester inside of you and you begin to kind of, you know, lick your lips and, and it, it becomes this, you, you, you get hurt and you give it back and you get hurt and you give it back. He paints it this way. He said, it's a skeleton fit. It's a, it's a, a, a feast fit for a king. The one chief drawback is that the skeleton at the feast is you. And every time you become angry and you think about, oh, I, 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 I got a good one in there, or I should have, right there, I had a little opening to, ooh, I, I could have. And you go back and think of, I, what I could have said this. I really would have got him then. Ever been in your car? You drove away from a meeting. You're strangling your steering wheel like it's the person's neck. Anybody? We had a situation some years ago where uh, a gentleman uh, basically had ripped me off for a bunch of money and then lied about me. And I was so angry. I drove away from a meeting and I, I did a relatively good job of controlling myself. And here I am, a pastor, you know, and I'm trying to, I didn't want to deck the guy or anything, but I, I drove away. I didn't think it would be a great career move. Anyway, and, and I'm squeezing the steering wheel. And I went and played racquetball. I find that hitting that little blue ball or the little white one does a lot of good. You know, you, you can picture faces on it. Anyway, 
So I went to the racquetball court, and there was a guy that I've known over the years, and he's a tough guy. And he, I told him the story, and he goes, uh, really? He goes, uh, Pastor Michael, would you like me and a group of my friends to take care of this for you? <laughs> and just for a brief moment, I went, no, 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 that probably wouldn't be good. I don't want to send the three wise guys over to his house, you know, dressed in black suits. <laughs> we are representing Pastor Michael. <laughs> this would not be good. But I, I must say I entertained it for a brief second. Pray for me. But anyway. Now the deeds, Galatians 5.19, of the flesh are evident. Galatians 5.19, they are, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes. Do you guys see how many of these fruits of the flesh, deeds of the flesh, are related to relationships that are in peril? Enmity, middle of verse 20, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. My, they're all ugly words. When you say them, they're ugly. And Paul is saying, look, this is not what should be happening. And it's, it includes envying, drunkenness, carousing, and, and things like these. In other words, it's not even an exhaustive list. And and here's a scary verse of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice, keyword practice such things habitually, shall not inherit the kingdom of God because they show by their action that they haven't been born again of the Holy Spirit. But by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is the opposite of all those ugly things. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, Gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, if you're a Christian, have crucified the flesh. That would be all those things in the ugly list in verses 19 and 20 and more. They've crucified those things. Those things need to die, if you will, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And you get a sense in these churches that there was a problem, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And so, back to the book of James, and we'll finish it up. So, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. How can I slow these things down in my life? I think uh, three times in Moses' life he became angry, and three times, all three times, it was disastrous. In, in Genesis 4, God said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, you not, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you, but you must master it. And Cain went out and told Abel his brother, and we know what happened. God warned him. He said, your anger is an issue, Cain. And it's crouching at your door, and it wants to master you, and you must master it. But he didn't master it. He went out, let his anger get the best of him, and what did he do? He killed Abel. So we can hear something even directly from God and not necessarily do it. Ecclesiastes 7.8 says, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, 
for anger resides in the bosom of fools. You remember Jonah? Jonah was asked by God, do you have good reason to be angry? Jonah was angry because God saved a bunch of people. Knew you were going to do that. I wanted them destroyed. You gave me a message, 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. I preached the message, and I was waiting for the bombs to come. I'm just sitting up on a hill. And then you went and you were gracious to them, compassionate. I know how you are, God. <laughs> I like compassion when it's directed in my direction. But those people over there, I'm mad. <laughs> Can you imagine that? The Bible says the angels rejoice when one person comes to repentance and Jonah's on the hill going, I didn't want to go to this place in the first place. That's why I ran the other way and took the ship and all of that. But you... You, you speak to whales or big fish. You, you speak fish. You speak all the languages, God. And you pick me up. I'm the regurgitated prophet. <laughs> Spit me up on the seashore for the surfers to go, dude, whoa, look at him. Man, how do we, how do we shift it down? We don't. <laughs> we don't. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. We've got to say, Lord, Michael and his ways, his old ways need to be crucified. I, every morning, got to come to die. <laughs> Lord, here's, some, here's a prayer. Here I am. I want to crucify my flesh. Help me put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with the fruit so I can manifest them today. So we get a little bit more as we close of how to do it. Therefore, this is James 1.21. Therefore, in light of what James just said, the exhortation to us, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Therefore, putting aside or put away all filthiness and all that remains, James 1.21, of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. See the word therefore? Now that we have an understanding of the issue, now that we get what we're supposed to do, here's the remedy, here's the solution. We have to put aside all that remains of the old ways. We gotta put them away. And the image here is of changing a soiled garment and putting on a fresh, new, clean one. We literally need to get rid of it. We need to get rid of our anger. One uh, writer says, the language of dirty garments, in a specialized sense in the ancient world, spoke of earwax. Now, we won't get into earwax right now. But we know that we have to clean our ears every now and then. And if you haven't cleaned your ears in a while, sometimes... You go in there with, and you got to be really careful. You go in there with one of those Q-tips, right? And you pull it out. Just make sure that nobody else is around that you're trying to impress. Because sometimes, it's, it's an ugly scene, but here, here it is. You pull it out, you go, oh my goodness. No wonder when people were talking to me, I was saying, what? What? <laughs> and someone who loves you and can say things like this to you would say, well, you haven't done it in two and a half years. <laughs> things do build up. 
You got to get it out. And it frees up the listening capacities. This is the image. You get the earwax out. You take off the old garments. It's all spiritual metaphors, but you get the idea. You trade it in. You get rid of it. All the moral filth. All the filthiness. All the soiled garments. And in exchange for that, you put on the new person. You take something off, and you put something on. These metaphors are rich. They're all over the Bible. I'm not going to go there this morning, but you take something off and you put it on. Put on the full armor of God that you might what? Take your stand. Put on the new man, Ephesians 4. These are things that are written to Christians. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Put on is in duo in Greek. It means to clothe. Be clothed with power from on high. Put off is obvious, right? We get rid of one thing, we take in another thing. What we put aside is the old ways. They're heavy. Those soiled garments are heavy. Ever played a mud football game and your garments are all soiled and your mother's like, don't come and laugh, right? And if the mud dries, oh, it gets... <laughs> Just stay in that. You're sleeping in the backyard for a week, right? How many of you are tired of carrying soiled garments? They get heavy, don't they? How many of you are tired of all the same nonsense, the same fights, the same disagreements, the same, you want to respond better, and then you do the same thing? And James says, get rid of that garment. It needs to go. Clean out your ears. Some see baptismal idioms here from the ancient church of they got baptized and they would put on a new white garment. We put aside something and we, we, we receive something else. What we put aside is obvious. We've talked about it. What we receive is the word implanted. Emphitos in Greek. It could refer, uh, says Douglas Moo, to something becoming implanted or that has become implanted. So this is a little bit difficult, but let me just read the explanation because I think it'll help. What James is suggesting by describing the word in this way, the word implanted, is that the Christian must not think he is done with the word of God after it has saved him. The word becomes a permanent and separable part of the Christian, a commanding and guiding presence within him. This is not a command to be converted, but to accept the word's precepts as binding and to seek to live, to live them. This would paint a picture that as the word of God goes deep within, the old filth goes out. The word regenerates and saves us, no doubt, but it also sets us free, John 8, 31 and 32, and sanctifies us, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. When God's word does its work, spiritual growth is inevitable, the inevitable result. As God's word is proclaimed and finds good soil in my heart, as in the parable of the sower or soils, it implants and brings forth a crop of righteousness. If you are a believer, you've experienced this wonderful reality that God's word comes in and it starts to clean stuff out and it makes you look at stuff and you go, ooh, wow, I'm not handling that one right. And the word of God comes in and a little plant begins to sprout. 
and something else goes away, maybe a weed of bitterness, maybe a root of bitterness. And so in 1 Thessalonians 2.10, it says, And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So let it work. Amen. And when we come into a place like this, we say, Lord, I am here. I've prepared the soil. Now speak. Your servant is listening. And then produce a crop in my life. I want to get rid of the stuff, the old stuff. And I want that word implanted that has already saved me if I'm a Christian to produce that abundant and abiding fruit. The only question that I leave you with is, are you willing? You got to start with the willingness to be willing. And if you come in to the play, this place or you, when you crack open your Bible and you just say, Lord, I'm willing Change me. That's where it all starts. Father, as we think about your word, it's so good, it's so deep, it's so rich, and it is productive. And I think each and every Christian that is here this morning would say, man, I have experienced that wonderful, transforming power of God's word. It has done its work. It has come down from the Lord and it has been like rain and snow, and it has produced a crop, and it has not returned void. And even Bible passages that we learned as little kids are still producing fruit in our lives, Lord. We're so grateful. And we know this is why the enemy tries to keep us from our Bibles. This is why the enemy loves division. So we might close our Bibles and close our hearts off to people that we're supposed to love. Oh, Lord, heal us. Heal me. Do your, your healing work in each of us. Make us more like your son. Thank you that you're so patient with us, Lord, so much more patient than we are with others and with ourselves. And Lord, as we have a chance now just to meditate on God's word, biblical meditation is on God and his word. Right now, I just, I just want to ask us all just to take a moment, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Just let it, just let it percolate. Let it go down. Lord, whatever additional business you have to do with your people, I pray that you would just be working that in our hearts. Just work it in so we can work it out. And Father, as we prepare now to come to the table of communion and remember what Jesus suffered, what he did to make the way possible that we could be new, we could be changed, we could be different. I pray that as the elements go forth and then we think about all you've done for us, you are the living word, Jesus, and thank you that you came down to save our souls. You spoke life into us. Would you keep your head and heart bowed if you have not met Jesus as your Savior and Lord if this has hit really close to home or you've been trying to do this on your own, you need to get saved. And the Bible gives a very simple remedy. It's the gift of a king. You must receive what Jesus did on the cross, dying for you through his resurrection to be saved. That's where it all starts. So if you've heard his voice today and you've said, oh Lord, I, I wanna know you and I wanna be different, I wanna be new. 
I want to have the hope of heaven. I want my sins to be forgiven. All of that is, is not only possible, it's available. But it, it takes a willingness. And it's something like this, Lord Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you've not settled this right now with your head and heart bowed, pray. Lord Jesus, even in the quietness of your heart, come into my life. Thank you that you died on that awful cross for me. Thank you that you rose to defeat death and all of its scariness. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. Please be my Lord, my Savior, my King, and my friend. And do a work in my heart, Lord. Let me be born again to that living hope. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you've been far away from God. Maybe you're a Christian, but this has hit really close to home and you have been angry and maybe even out of control. And it's hurt some people around you. Then settle some business with the Lord. He is so gracious. Every morning his mercies are brand new and multiple times a day as well. And so whatever you need to do to get right with him, Lord, for those who are just doing some business, I just pray that you just be working in this room by the power of your Holy Spirit and that uh, as we receive these elements, Lord, we would just rejoice in the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.